Good morning and welcome to WPPA Sports Saturday. On the 74th anniversary of WPPA, May 9th, we get set to talk some sports this morning. First, let's thank our financial benefactors, none greater than CACL Financial. 1800 West Market Street in the city of Pottsville. Now open on the St. Clair Port Carbon Highway with drive through services at the best fiduciary relationship you'll find anywhere, CACL Financial. I had to steal it today. They're always open online at caclfcu.org. Their members know it. What are you waiting for? Stop by and check them out and join today at CACL Financial. Thank you, BG's Value Markets and... Four convenient locations for your shopping experience, Jonestown, Millersburg, Minersville, and Pine Grove. Stop by and check out the fine folks at BG's Value Markets as they keep you rolling through this quarantine with all of your grocery shopping needs. We've got to say thank you to Schuylkill County's oldest full service family-owned dairy on the Tumbling Run Road. It's the dairy line from whole milk to skim milk, the delicious orange juice to pump up the vitamin C, and their delicious fruit drink and iced tea products today Chaz we are rehydrating today with diet green tea you are and I have the sugar free tea the original over here as uh, the fine folks at gears keep it rolling don't make them dump the milk get out there and buy some today it's gears dairy Schuylkill County's oldest family home full service dairy on the tumbling run road Chaz good morning we've got to say a happy Birthday, a very special happy birthday. Also celebrating a birthday today, along with WPPA, of course, turning 74. But celebrating a birthday today, Chaz, is your roadie, your compadre, your friend, your confidant, your... Let's see what else I could use to describe the young lady. Uh, the Saint. Saint Barbara. Why don't you just say the lovely Barb Powers? Yeah, the lovely Barb Powers, the Saint for putting up with John Powers day in and day out and uh, now being quarantined with John. She uh, has a special spot up above uh, uh, someday because, man, anybody that could uh, put up with him has to go right. I put up with him for a lot of years. I didn't listen. Listen, I wouldn't say that. John's a, a, a man about life so anyway happy birthday barb yes happy birthday barb powers and uh you know uh you talk about john being a uh, man about life he's become the internet sensation of schuylkill county i think oh well you know he certainly uh has taken uh his own mantle of going on facebook under the auspices of barb filming of course and posting and uh, he he likes to celebrate the Schuylkill County products and remind people what, you know, what's out there and let's keep making it work. So had the opportunity to catch up with JP. I had it on the porch with JP session yesterday. We stayed socially distant and it was good to see my old buddy for what, six weeks? I haven't seen him or eight weeks. I don't know how long it is. Oh, it's been a long time. It's been a long, long time as Les would sing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> had an opportunity to catch up with JP. We actually started calling a game. Um, no, I'm only kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of them things. Yeah, and it's uh, one of those things that uh, keep on rolling on, Chaz. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're going to start getting back a little bit uh, to some sports. Um, 
coming up here in the next uh, week or so. We're going to get some NASCAR racing whoa, back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've had live sports. The only problem is it's on at 1 a.m. Yeah, and it's from South Korea. Yes, the- <laughs> and the only person I really know is Aaron Altair. <laughs> he hit a bomb into the blank bleachers in left field. Yeah, you know? he's about the only one I know. But, uh, you know, yeah, sooner or later, uh, Major League Baseball, I believe they're uh, now targeting mid-June uh, return. Mm-hmm. So uh, things, you know, I mean, starting to take shape there. I know the NFL has a little bit more time to uh, uh, plan for it, but their planning is well underway and how they're going to return and mm-hmm. uh, what they're going to do. Uh, I, I know they have been talking about uh, socially distanced in stadiums, hopefully getting some people in there uh, some way, somehow, uh, and socially distancing them. You know, I mean, maybe turning, you know, a 100,000-person uh, stadium into a 10,000-person stadium. So uh, they're, they're coming up with all kind of uh, unique things. Uh, I know uh, one uh, player uh, yesterday uh, uh, from the NFL uh, had tested positive uh, for the uh, virus and uh, was turned away from a, a facility. But, uh, you know, things are, are slowly starting to get back to normal. Adam Silver uh, yesterday evening had a uh, meeting with players uh, of the NBA and said things are going to look a whole heck of a lot different. He doesn't know when arenas will be filled uh, once again for NBA games. It's going to be a different landscape. And uh, But he's coming out and saying, hey, listen, 40% of our revenue comes from the uh, uh, evening's activities in the arena uh, for the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been a big question of – of uh, how many people could do that. Go ahead, sir. Well, you ask and you'll get it. You know, this whole pandemic situation has shut down everything. We know yep. that, right? For six weeks now. And we're beginning to hear stories about how the ripple effect is hitting places you might have never considered. Yep. Well, for example, think about it. How are the hot dog and peanut industries holding up without live yeah. sporting events, right? Never thought of it. Well, according to Sports Illustrated, in Major League Baseball alone, fans typically consume around 18 million hot dogs and 4 to 7 million bags of peanuts per season. Millions more are consumed in the minors and in local leagues. So one of the country's largest peanut roasters says that 25% of their nuts typically sold at this time would go to stadiums. Obviously, that demand has vanished, and they're also losing a big chunk from restaurant orders. But it isn't all bad news. Sales of peanut butter have been literally off the charts. Yeah, I know that. As people have gone into a frenzy loading up their pantries. So the hot dog industry has also lost out on tons of business, but people are buying far more hot dogs to eat at home now. So, in fact, grocery sales have more than doubled year over year in recent weeks, who is enough, which is enough, rather, to account for the loss seen with stadiums and restaurants. By the way, the peanuts and hot dogs that were already at stadiums before the shutdown have not been wasted. A spokesperson for Delaware North with Chandler's concessions for 11 major league stadiums said that they donated 41,000 pounds of food in March, and several ballparks have used their stadium kitchens and pre-purchased food to make meals for local health care workers. So, by the way, the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest has not been canceled yet, so the industry might feel a bit of a gut punch if there aren't any unholy amounts of hot dogs consumed on July 4th. And uh, that company's primary hot dog manufacturer is Smithfield Foods, which has had to shut down plants due to outbreaks among employees, though. Joey Chestnut. I hope he gets to be the reigning champ, right? He's still the champ. Mm -hmm. Joey Chestnut. 
met him a few years ago. Did you? He's an oddball. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be an oddball to eat I'll like 74 hot dogs or I, something. I'd like and... to go to that on July 4th, but it won't be this year. But I'd like to go <laughs> to, to witness that at, one at, July 4th. A, well, the, the question I was going to ask next, next is, uh, as a contestant or as a spectator? No, no, I'd never be a contestant. I can't do that. I can't open my throat like that to, to get those suckers down that quick. There's no way I'd be able to enter that as a contestant. I don't. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't do think it. I could be a competitive eater. I can't be a competitive eater. I savor eater. the flavor, buddy. Yeah, I'm slower, you know. <laughs> you, I think you got to dip them in beer or water or something to soften up that bun a little bit. Well, while you're talking about dipping your hot dogs in solution, never. It's like mush. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about a little bit more. We have an interview coming up in a little while with Tom Stone here on WPPA Sports Saturday. If you miss it, don't forget podcast available, anchor.fm. That's our host site. you can find us on Spotify, Google, and Apple podcast platforms throughout. The annual turtle race has been canceled. Oh, you're kidding. Sadly, the beloved mime convention will not be held this year. (laughs) Oh, come on. Is your favorite event canceled? I'm just getting word that ballerina bunnies on ice is a no-go. No! We're not. Radio. It's on. We're always on to entertain and inform you. Locally, WPPA. AM 1360, 106FM. Does your bank come to mind when you think about the best things in your life? If not, consider a financial institution who has the experience in customer satisfaction. At CACL Financial, we've been voted the best bank in Schuylkill County for six years in a row. If you live, work, or worship in Schuylkill County, then CACL can help you with your financial needs. We have top quality products like free checking, lower fees, and better deposit rates than the competition. CACL Financial's goal is to deliver quality financial services to our members. Find out for yourself how it feels to work with a financial institution that's committed to helping you. Now, even more convenient with our newest location on the Port Carbon St. Clair Highway with easy in and out drive through banking and a state-of-the-art ATM. CACL Financial voted the best bank in Schuylkill County six years in a row in Pottsville and now on the Port Carbon St. Clair Highway. Trust CACL Financial committed to your customer satisfaction. Gears Dairy on the Tumbling Run Road is the county's oldest full-service family-owned dairy. Gears prides themselves on their high standards and offers quality produced milk products as well as orange juice, fruit drinks, and their very own popular iced tea. Make Gears a name you invite into your home every day. Look for Gears products in your favorite supermarket or convenience store. Gears Dairy on the Tumbling Run Road, the county's oldest full-service family-owned dairy, always committed to excellence. You know, the sad part about this whole thing is we probably should have had a pony boy in here today, I think. No, that was last week. Oh, it was last week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know it was somewhere yeah. on. But Pork did remind me that uh, the crazy part is when the Kentucky Derby runs, it'll be a Saturday after a football game with something else in tow, Notre Dame or something. So he's going to be... Uh, oh, double ginned up. His, his predictions may sound a, a little... Uh, off. A little off. Oh, all right. When that comes around. But, yeah, it would have been last week. 
I knew it was like one of these weeks in uh, yeah, May. Yeah, yeah, it was last week when the Kentucky yeah. Derby. So the Preakness would have been next week then, and mm-hmm. then three weeks following would have mm-hmm. been the uh, what's the other one? The the, the Preakness, the Belmont, Belmont State, Belmont, yep. yes. And uh, yeah. well, you know, the Belmont ain't gonna roll. No, it, well, it all depends. When I mean, if you're talking about the Kentucky Derby rolling after uh, in football season, so by then, you know, I mean, Western New York might be uh, in the clear. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the the state of Pennsylvania. The east side is is proverbially screwed, as the west side is, you know, getting uh, opened. But the uh, time will only tell. We got to hope for the best. But uh, we are starting to see a little bit of normalcy a little bit as, uh, you know, things are starting to pick up. And, uh, you know, training uh, is starting to hopefully get opened. And uh, we'll get back to uh, live action soon. Yeah, here's hoping. I mean, it's been a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, sports-wise, it's been kind of... But there's so much fun stuff else we could talk about, like, you know... How's the fish biting? Well, yeah, and I mean that's next week. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have a a, a guest star. Yeah, on yeah. the program. television star. Yeah, television star. From from uh, from uh, uh, Guppy Fisher to to big Hollywood movie star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the captains from Wicked Tuna will join us next week, Dave Marciano, and uh, we're excited about that. Yeah, if you never watched uh, Wicked Tuna, it's uh, on the Nat Geo channel, and uh, it's a pretty good uh, reality television show. And they're the when you talk about reality TV, I don't watch the. Uh, do you watch any like the 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 like the Voice or American Idol or? Uh, no, I lost uh, interest in uh, American Idol probably after Carrie Underwood won. Uh, then, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I really ever watched the voice much. Uh, I don't watch like the survivors or anything like that. Uh, I didn't, but I know you're a fan of wicked tuna. Yeah, I am a fan of wicked tuna. And, and it, you know how I became a fan of wicked tuna. It all spun off. I, I used to really, really, really love uh, deadliest catch. And then, uh, I mean, some of the the captains changed. You know, some of them had uh, passed away, and uh, the, the the show started to take almost like an on real spin. It seemed like, uh, and then uh, actually, I was slipping through the channels one day and ended up watching uh, Wicked Tuna, and uh, I was like, "This is awesome!" And I really like the spin off too of uh, Wicked Tuna Outer Banks, and uh, because it's uh, I've been there, I could relate to the area. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, probably fish. Uh, some of the same uh, canyons that uh, they fish uh, out there in the Atlantic Ocean uh, in the uh, Poor Man's uh, Canyon and, and Baltimore Canyon. They're uh, off the coast of, uh, it runs from like Maryland uh, through Virginia into the upper tip of, of North Carolina. So, uh, I mean, they're very popular areas for uh, tuna fishing. So I've been out the, that uh, area twice in my life. Uh, and uh, one day we're going to go tuna fishing, my friend, because I, I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. It's just finding the time. And, you know, that's been my whole whole issue through most things is just finding the time. I but very the active... time's becoming a, a little bit more uh, easier to find. Have you found that out as things have started to progress in uh, your household? <laughs> as kids get older. <laughs> and start moving to the next level, uh, things get a little bit uh, opened up some. Time-wise, financially, not so much. Yeah, but... well, financially, it starts to hit a little bit more. And, and the sad thing, so, some of the things that do, you know I mean? It, it, it costs a little bit of scratch. So Uncle Belly's taking their dad on a fishing trip. Is that what you're telling me? Sure, to celebrate. 
<laughs> when you become an empty nester, let me know. <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been interesting, and I didn't see the whole thing, and maybe you did, because I, I couldn't figure out how to get to the article. But I guess, you know, you talked about these major sporting events, talking about how they're going to get back, and, you know, football I saw had something about they already have a phase one idea, but I didn't see what that plan was. Well, it, the, the phase one idea was uh, obviously to get the, to get the training camps open, to get the uh, – to get the OTAs uh, going, and I mean, it was I mean temperature checks and and uh, antibody checks and, right. and and stuff like that. Uh, that is going to be the first step, uh, and that's what the I mean the NFL is going to try to do first is get that stuff going. Uh, will we be able to flock to you know training camps as we used to? Probably not. I, I I've got to say that probably you know select media. Uh, obviously, that meets the yeah. You know, I mean, you'll probably have to walk around with papers now. Uh, saying that uh, you've been tested, uh, you know, recently or whatever. But, uh, you know, that will happen. And then um, the next step would be, you know, I mean, that's phase one. Phase two is to, to figure out how we're going to – they're going to do the regular season. Uh, yeah, I mean, is it going to be a, a new thing? I mean, hey, now listen, uh, walk through this metal detector. Okay, you don't have any metal on you. Oh, now walk through this, uh, you know, remote temp sensing unit. Uh, make sure you don't have a fever. Uh, you know, oh, now, oh, hold on, we're going to spin your blood in this little machine. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It's going to be a whole different uh, scenario. And, and it, I almost liken it back to, you know, I mean, remember when we returned to sports after 9-11? You know, 9-11 turned a whole new corner. You know, I mean, it, it was like pretty much, you know, I mean, before 9-11, you wanted to walk into a stadium with a cushion or a, you know, a bag of snacks, a, a hoagie, a whatever. I mean, they they more or less were like, no, you, yourself, and nothing else. You know, remember, and it was really, 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 really strict. They searched you. They, they, they patted you down. I mean, it took a little bit longer to enter the stadium. They opened up stadiums a little earlier and, and stuff like that. But you know what? Looking back, we've got through it. We, we, we made it. We're here in 2020. Okay, we've been to, you know, stadiums, we've been to concerts, we've been to all of that stuff, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, this stuff may never happen again or whatever. We've been there. We've built stadiums, you know, I mean, that still hold the capacity of X amount of thousands of people, you know, and it's been, you know, full bore since. This is another bump in the road. That's all it is is a pothole. And until we fill it in, you know, We'll get through it. The PIAA has sent guidance to uh, school districts. They are locking everybody out until July 1. That is when the PIAA says schools will be allowed to get their sports programs back up and moving. So that'll be uh, an interesting date to see if we can hit that target, being that we keep shifting the target in some areas. Yeah, I know uh, that um, uh, the NCAA has come out uh, I know the Big Ten has come out and says, you know, June 1, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. Uh, talking to, to uh, some Division One athletes uh, during the week, uh, they're going to have uh, some meetings this weekend uh, with their respective, uh, uh, you know, coaches and stuff like that. And one of the things that they were told is, have a thermometer uh, while you're on the call. And, uh, you know, well, the question is, is, well, am I going to have to take my temperature every day? You know, and, and log that. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, things are starting to progress. But, I mean, it's going to be a slow ride. 
yeah, we'll get over it. Uh, we'll move on, and we'll be back to, you know, somewhat of a normalcy uh, with some minor hiccups, changes. But, yeah, I mean, we've got to be patient, I guess. And, and that's a, the hardest thing is the patient part of it. You know what I mean? Like, I know, and I told you this this morning, I'm frustrated <laughs> because things aren't like they were in January and February and early March. You know, and it's like, you know, now you want to do something and it's like a chore, uh, more or less added on to the chore that you're trying to to already do. But I guess in the long run, it's the best for all of us. And you're going to have no skin left on your hands if you keep on pumping that sanitizer on them every three minutes. (laughs) The skin is going to be wore off your hands. You said it's a chore. I'm doing my chore. But, yeah, it is what it is. Um we're going to have a great guy on uh, yes. in, a, in a little bit uh, talking about his book, Now Taking the Field, a, a great undertaking that, uh, I mean. Yeah, people will find out about what, what went into something like this. I mean, it's a gentleman by the name of Tom Stone who's going to join us in a little bit. And uh, he wrote that the book, you know. Now Taking the Field. Now Taking the Field, which is about the 30 greatest players yep. in each MLB franchise. Yeah, but he did it a little bit different than what some other authors have done, Chaz. And, uh, you know, it, it turned into what uh, was a, a hobby. It turned into a passion, I guess. And uh, now uh, he finds himself uh, sitting down, putting pen to paper. And, you know, he, he figured it out. It is, and it's interesting to uh, hear how uh, he comes up with that. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a, a little bit about some major league teams, the Phillies, the Yankees, uh, who he has. And, and, I mean, my question was, like, how do you take a storied franchise? I mean, I'm not a big – I'm not a Yankees fan at all. But how do you take a storied franchise like the Yankees? Anybody who watches baseball knows that there have been some of the greatest people to ever play the game. Correct. Some of the biggest names have played in, in, in the Bronx. And, uh, you know, it's you know one of those things that I – mean, how do you sit down and, and determine – the 30 best players when they have probably the six best players almost every year out on the field. Yeah, how, how do you determine that? And, yeah, I mean, obviously it turns into a lot of arguments, but arguments that, I mean, he likes. And, you know, as a sports fan and an, a, an avid uh, baseball lover, I mean, you, you wouldn't shy away from those arguments. No. You would encourage those arguments, Absolutely. I'm sure. You know, so, like, I mean, if I would start arguing with you about the Phillies, it, yeah, I mean, you, you'll, you know, like if I told you Greg Luzinski's the greatest Phillies catcher ever, you'll you'll come back and say, no, he's not. He's not because he didn't play catcher. He was an outfielder. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I thought he was, I thought the Bull was a catcher. No, the Bull was not a catcher. The Bull was an outfielder. But anyway, Tells you, how much you I say know, Bob eh? Boone, Darren Dalton, maybe we'd there be in the go. mix. There you go. Well, let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk to Tom Stone right here on WPPA Sports Saturday. On AM 1360, 106 FM, worldwide, WPPARadio.com. Miss the show? Don't get excited. We're a podcast. Check us out. Anchor.fm, our host site. We're also on Apple and Google Podcast platforms or wherever you may find your favorite podcast. It's WPPA Sports Saturday. Does your bank come to mind when you think about the best things in your life? 
If not, consider a financial institution who has the experience in customer satisfaction. At CACL Financial, we've been voted the best bank in Schuylkill County for six years in a row. If you live, work, or worship in Schuylkill County, then CACL can help you with your financial needs. We have top quality products like free checking, lower fees, and better deposit rates than the competition. CACL Financial's goal is to deliver quality financial services to our members. Find out for yourself how it feels to work with a financial institution that's committed to helping you. Now, even more convenient with our newest location on the Port Carbon St. Clair Highway with easy in and out drive through banking and a state-of-the-art ATM. CACL Financial voted the best bank in Schuylkill County six years in a row in Pottsville and now on the Port Carbon St. Clair Highway. Trust CACL Financial committed to your customer satisfaction. Welcome back to WPPA Pottsville Sports Saturday. And uh, now we have a special guest on the phone, uh, the author of Now Taking the Field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises. Tom Stone joining us on a Saturday morning. And good morning to you, Tom. And, uh, you know, a big baseball fan, I, I guess you're in that little bit of a period that we're in where it's like, come on, let's get it going. Yeah, definitely feeling that way now. I've gone through the withdrawal symptoms, you know, the different stages, and definitely feeling the itch for sure at this point. It's been interesting, Tom, to see how Korean Baseball League is, is on the TV, and some folks are staying up late at night, and some of their former heroes, like a guy like Aaron Altair, put one in the empty bleachers last night. But, uh, you know, that's what we have right now. Yeah, I, I noticed that they were carrying that on, uh, on, on, on television and online. And uh, I, I read a piece this morning that gave an, an overview of the, of the different clubs. It's a pretty small league, I think 10, 12 teams. But they actually, you know, gave a nice overview, the piece I read, comparing, you know, which one is the, is the Yankees, which one is the Cardinals, just based on sort of similar histories and things like that. So that was helpful. Tom, you know, let's get down to business and let's talk about the book and uh, let's talk about your passion for the game of baseball. And when did that start for you? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I live uh, in, in western New York, uh, Rochester, New York. And so uh, the issue there, of course, is we get a lot of snow, lake effect snow off Lake Ontario, so you certainly can't play baseball year-round like you could in the deep south. Um, and so, you know, in the, in the wintertime back then, you didn't have the Internet, so you had the big paper encyclopedias, some of the old uh, early simulation games, either board games or, say, on, on an Atari. And I would spend the winters going through the stats. I was one of those kids, and and arguing with my friends about who should be in the Hall of Fame, that sort of thing. Fast forward to 1999, and I started writing the book, and it took me better part of 20 years sort of off and on working on it to finally get it done and published. You know, Tom, you talk about Western New York, you talk about baseball, you talk about stats, and one thing that comes to my mind is when I was a kid in the uh, mid-'90s in, in that uh, or, you know teenage stage, we played Stratomatic baseball, and that was, uh, I believe, a uh, uh, based in western new york somewhere yeah i think i think that might be right i never really got into stratomatic i played some of the other ones i played uh i played Kadako all-star baseball which was the one that came in a box with little discs and a spinner and you same same concept each, each player had certain certain percentage chance it's kind of like a dice roll uh, and then i had an early atari computer and i there were several games earl weaver baseball was one but the one i fell in love with was micro leagues because it wasn't joystick based it was entirely statistics driven and while it was rudimentary by today's standards uh, it gave me hours of, of joy you know when you take a look at, at an undertaking such as this tom and 
you know, you said it took you a better part of 20 years off and on to get this book together, to, to pour through that kind of information um, almost daily, to, to narrow it down to 100 uh, in some, except for when you look at some of the expansion clubs, a little more difficult to come to 100. But what was the process and what are some of the parameters of making it to these teams? Yeah, so I, I had a, a process. You know, other authors have, have done this before me, of course. Rob Nyer had a great book in two, two, 2003. There was a p- small paperback in the 80s. In fact, there were articles in Sport Magazine going back to the 50s, and I review a lot of those in my book to sort of compare my choices with theirs. There have been fan surveys as well. I wanted to take sort of a, a very comprehensive approach. So I started with war, wins above replacement, which is one of those modern sabermetric stats that you hear about. Um, it's particularly helpful for comparing players across eras. So, you know, it's otherwise pretty hard to compare someone from the dead ball era with, say, the modern times. Uh, but war helps you to do that. It also takes into consideration ballpark effects and things like that on the stats. But I didn't just end there. You, certainly you can go through my book and look at the stat tables and see who has the highest war score at each position for each team, and, and you could just choose a team based on that. But I also looked at a few other things. I looked at traditional stats, batting average, home runs, stolen bases, and so on, because uh, I, I very much still consider those important, of course. I also looked at the postseason, how well players did in, in the playoffs in the World Series, because some do really well and, and some not so much, and war only covers the, the regular season, so you got to consider that. In addition, and then lastly, honors and awards. How many times each, was each player I was considering an all-star? How they do in the MVP or Gold Glove, things like that. Admittedly, those can be popularity contests some years, and we can dispute who was chosen. Uh, but I figure if one player was an eight-time all-star and another player was only a two-time all-star, that, that's got to count for something. You know, Tom, when you look across that and you, you start looking at numbers, uh, we had a, a guest on by the name of John Crook a few weeks ago, and he talked about nowadays where, you know, analytics and all of those things that come into play, uh, I mean, a lot of people are hot on that, but he still likes to look at the old on-base percentage, the old, you know, and how he hits during, you know, with uh, with runners in scoring position. So do you like looking down into those numbers, digging down deeper into that? Do you like this new uh, analytics stuff? I like to look at it all. I, I, there's certainly some of the latest stats that I don't even, I'm not even very familiar with, um, but, uh, but the ones that have gained more prominence, like war, I'm, I'm fairly knowledgeable of. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 you know, growing up, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and that's when on-base percentage was finally getting some, some of its due. Bill James was, was a big advocate for that. Um, if you, if, you know, prior to, say, the, the late 70s, um, base percentage really wasn't talked about very much. So, you know, it sort of depends on what year you're living in. Uh, what's considered a new stat versus versus an old tried and true. You know, you bring up Bill James, Tom, and I got to venture to guess, like me, you're probably a big fan of the movie Moneyball. I was. I enjoyed the movie version. I enjoyed the book. Um, uh, probably not my favorite baseball movie, but definitely in my top ten. I'm a big fan of The Natural. That's probably still my, my top one. But, um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it a lot, and I've been certainly a fan of Bill James's work going back to the early baseball abstract. You know, you kind of look at how that team was put together, though, based statistically, and uh, they became successful with it. Uh, maybe not as successful as everybody had hoped, but, you know, w- when you build things on analytics, a lot of the baseball purists will say, you know, you still have to hit the ball. You still have to throw the ball, record the out. Um, you know, so, so building teams in the quote-unquote real world, you know, if, if people start taking a look like, you know, take take a thought of general managers now using your process and building their teams. 
Yeah, no, that's very true. And there's things like, will certain players get along in the clubhouse? That that doesn't come out in the statistics. You know, there's so-called chemistry, and there's disputes about whether that's a thing that actually exists or not. How how would you measure it? How would you how would you build it? Uh, team culture, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, the, you know, the statistics will, will I think raise your chances if you if you do the analytics properly. But it does, certainly doesn't guarantee any outcomes. Um, certainly, that's even the case with simulations. If it's a robust enough simulation. Um, you know, any team can win on any day. You know, Tom, when you when you break it down and, and getting to, let's say, for for instance, you know, a lot of these teams, like you look at the L.A. Dodgers, did you go back into the Brooklyn Dodgers before they moved to L.A., the Athletics before they moved to Oakland, and all of those things, or did you just kind of keep them in the cities where they were? Yeah, no, I, I, I went by, the, by franchise, and so that means the entire history of the franchise. So for National League teams, that goes all the way back to the 1800s for some of them. Definitely for the Dodgers, that spans their whole history is, the, is Brooklyn all the way through to L.A. And, you know, the Twins, their time as the Senators counts. Orioles, their time as the St. Louis Browns counts. So any time that it was a, a continuous franchise, regardless of, of a name change or a city change, I, I covered the whole history. You know, when you're looking at that, to narrow it down to 100 players in a franchise like the Yankees or the Dodgers or, or the ones with a much robust history – how difficult was it to narrow it down to just 100 players? Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure about the 100 number. I, I ended up uh, choosing 30 players for each team as, as the roster. So that's what I ended up doing, which gives you a starter, a backup, um, you know, a few extra guys, a, a pretty robust uh, pitching staff, more than just a starting five and, and, say, one or two relievers. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, other authors have just done the starting lineup, maybe a couple of pitchers, one righty and one lefty, say, but I wanted to do something a little more robust. And to your point, uh, you, you end up with some really good players that still get snubbed. You end up with some good debates with fans that read the book and, and want to take on some of your picks. You do the math, there's 30 franchises and 30-man rosters, so that's 900 total selections. Uh, no, no reader is going to agree with all 900 picks, that's for sure. <laughs> you, you talk about that, and you like the debates, Tom, uh, that uh, people uh, bring forth uh, when they read your book. And uh, we want to uh, debate you a little bit this morning, if you don't mind, and uh, we'll review uh, who you have there for the uh, Phillies franchise. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So uh, who do you have there as probably the best Philly of all time? Uh, I mean, at the third base, uh, I mean, if I'm thinking correctly, it's got to be Michael Jack Schmidt, right? Yeah, Mike Schmidt there at third base, uh, and then the question became, what do you do with Dick Allen? He played both third base and, and then first base. Um, I, because I wanted to get Scott Rowland on the roster as well, even though he split his time between the Phillies and elsewhere, um, I ended up shifting Allen over to first base, uh, and then the question becomes, who do you start, Allen or Ryan Howard? So <laughs> you've, got, you've got a lot of power there between third base and first base in those four guys. You know, that's... that's pretty uh, ingenious in order to give people their due because they were great ball players and still incorporate them and take a look at all of the positions that they did possess during their time with these clubs and um, you know when, when you take a look the Phillies outfield usually has been a hodgepodge but I mean you know do, do, do you stay loyal to teams that win championships or, or do you look at the overall yeah, I definitely tried to have strike a balance between, say, what I, what I like I like to consider peak performance and, say, long tenure. So someone who was a, maybe a semi-regular all-star and played 12, 15 years for the club, is that more value to that club's history than someone who, say, only had three or four seasons but was an MVP-caliber player every year? 
that's that you know that's where different readers would have different criteria. Um, certainly, if, if somebody really shown in one World Series, say, and was really important, obviously that's very important to the history of the team. But if you didn't play for the team for very many seasons overall, you know, what do you do with that? So that's where there can be a lot of debate. Uh, you mentioned the Phillies outfield. Well, they don't have the big names like, say, the Yankees do with a Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, that sort of an outfield. I found the Phillies had a lot of depth. Um, and there were a good 13 or 14 Phillies outfielders that I thought you could make a, a legitimate case. Uh, and, you know, thinking starter and backup, I would only choose six. I ended up choosing eight. I had a couple of extra ones thrown on there. But even with that, there's some really good outfielders like Gary Maddox. Anyone who was a fan of the Phillies in the 70s with his defense out there, uh, the famous quote about the, about the ocean and everything, uh, you know, I, I didn't have room for him on this roster. That's debatable, but, uh, but that, that just speaks to how many great outfielders there really were. So, uh, I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, you got to think about Phillies pitching. You know, that's a, that's a, where the ball game starts and stops, a lot of people would say. And, and the best Phillies pitcher, Chaz, that I could come up with, Steve Carlton. Well, he's one of them, but I don't know that he would be the top one in the history of the franchise, and I think Tom would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, he started his career with the Cardinals, uh, and then he came over to the Phillies and won a lot of final awards and, and did really well. Um, I think it's a close call between Carlton uh, Grover Cleveland Alexander, who also split his career between the Phillies and, and elsewhere. Uh, and then Robin Roberts, who played for the Phillies for a very long time. I think those are the top three. Um, beyond that, you've still got some great arms in Cole Hamels, Kurt Schilling, who, of course, also had some star seasons elsewhere. Jim Bunning, same thing, split his time between the Phillies and Tigers. So really nice uh, top five. In fact, I would consider the Phillies' top five starters, whoever those top five that you picked from the names I just gave, to rank right up there, probably alongside the Dodgers, maybe the Giants, a couple of other clubs in this book, is, is having the best starting rotation. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and th- that's why you know, from a point of reference, Carlton uh, was big in the '80s and all that kind of stuff. But you know, when when you look at the the overall, like say for instance, Tom, you know, you have guys that I could think of. Dale Murphy is probably on the Braves, but he played a couple years in Philly, so. Would that discount him as, as one of the greatest outfielders in Philly and he would be with Atlanta? You know, you know those kind of things. Yeah, so some authors took that kind of approach. They looked at someone's whole career and then just assigned that whole career to one team. I allowed players to make more than one roster. Um, so some players uh, you know, make two. A few players even made three, like a Nolan Ryan or Raleigh Fingers and a couple of others. So I only looked at their time for that team. So in Dale Murphy's case, he clearly makes the all-time Braves, but his seasons with the Phillies didn't count towards that. Right, and and I could see that that would be uh, a great approach because I mean, it, by the time Murphy hit the Phillies, he was in his twilight, and uh, right. you know, you just that's I was kind of wondering how all that worked. Yeah, absolutely, and and there's players that really split their career. Unlike Murph, there's players that split their career right in half, like the Frank Robinson between the Orioles and the Reds. I think he deserves to make both those all-time dream teams, and it wouldn't be fair to say, well, I'll put him on one, but not the other. So uh, Jimmy Fox, Eddie Collins, there's Lefty Grove. There's lots of players that sort of split their career right in half, and I wanted to make sure to get them on both rosters. You know, when you take a look at players that have made big impacts in a couple of things, and like the Hall of Fame, does Pete Rose make a team in your book, or is he excluded like he is in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, so I, I definitely didn't exclude anyone. I didn't include Pete. He makes the Reds. I didn't include uh, exclude Joe Jackson. He makes both the, the White Sox and the Indians, actually. 
Um, and I didn't, I didn't discount anyone's statistics due to performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, there's those players that we know use them. There's those that we suspect. I leave it up to the reader if they, if they don't like seeing a player on, on their favorite team because of that. Um, you know, I've had some, some Cubs fans that say, oh, no, don't have Sosa on our roster. And if you just look at the numbers, clearly he's, he's deserving. Um, and so I, I, I looked at the numbers. I didn't discount them at all because we don't know what players would have done with or without those performance-enhancing substances. And so I, that's where I just leave it to the reader to, uh, to make the, any adjustments that they, that they choose. Tom, when you go back and you're doing this research, what was your favorite era to look at? You know, you talk about the PED uh, situation. You talk about, you know, back in the day when, you know, people were barnstorming and stuff like that. What was your favorite era to research through this whole process? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I don't think I've gotten that one before. I, I would say it's definitely not from the 70s onward because I've lived through those eras, although there was some nostalgia for me looking at the 70s and 80s years that I, that I grew up. Um, but just looking at sort of the outstanding things that sort of jump out at you, um, that I in some sense knew from, from my previous knowledge of baseball, like just how many triples were, were hit during the dead ball era, or just how few stolen bases were, 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 you know, the league leader would have in some of the 1940s or 1950s seasons, where they might only steal 20 or 25 and end up leading the league. And then, of course, there was the challenge of dealing with some of the stats from the 1800s, particularly the pitchers, when they would only have a two- or three-man rotation, and the ace might have 500 innings, something crazy like that. So having to you know, deal with those numbers and, and take that into consideration. We didn't worry about the uh, arm uh, health or, or elbows <laughs> no. or, or, or shoulders or rotator cuffs back then. But uh, yeah, they are throwing a different type of uh, ball, too. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It was a different throwing style than what we we see Absolutely. today. So, you know, Tom, how does your day yeah, – I mean – Let's let's cut straight. Yeah, I mean, what do you do on a normal, typical day when you're not writing books or, or researching? How many baseball games as a as a fan do you take in? Well, I live in Rochester. We have a AAA club here, and, and other than this year in 2020 with the coronavirus, I, I try to go to a couple a year with the, with the book coming out. I've I've had a table there and, and sold some some copies of the book and, and talked with some folks and done some interviews there. So I see a couple of local minor league games, and then over the years as a kid, my parents would take me up and down to various, uh, you know, east, eastern U.S. cities. I've probably been to 10, 12 stadiums, but I haven't been to some of the more storied ones. Like, I've never been to Fenway, never been to Wrigley, never been to Yankee Stadium. So there's still some, some pretty big ones on my list that I, that I need to get to. Yeah, I mean, Fenway is probably the one that, I mean, if there's anything, that's the toughest, one of the toughest tickets, I think, to get uh, uh, anywhere is a ticket to Fenway Park. And, uh, I mean, you talk about these storied franchises and you not being able to get there. Let's talk about Yankee Stadium real quick and, and that uh, home that uh, Ruth built. Who do you have there? You talked about them earlier. You talked about the Babe and all of them. Uh, who do you have there is like, maybe a, 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 the best starting uh, lineup that you can find in the New York Yankees. I'm sure there's tons of debate on this one for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there definitely, there definitely would be. Um, so against, say, a, a lineup against a right-handed pitcher, um, just in order. I, uh, what I did in the book was I had Jeter at shortstop, Joe DiMaggio at center field. Batting third was Babe Ruth. Uh, batting fourth was Luke Gehrig, just like the two of them did uh, when they played together. I got Mickey Mantle in the lineup as the DH, so he bats fifth. Alex Rodriguez is at the hot corner at third, although if, if you prefer, you can, of course, go with Greg Nettles. Um, Charlie Keller uh, had in left field, 
And then uh, you can take your pick, either Yogi Berra or Bill Dickey. They were both left-handed hitters, so it's not like you can platoon them easily, but either Berra or Dickey as catcher. And then I went with Robinson Cano as, as the second baseman, although Tony Rosemary would be a good platoon mate uh, against lefty. Wow, pretty, pretty interesting. You know, now, when you take a look at this, Tommy, you take a guy like Babe Ruth, and you put him up against some of the greatest home run hitters of the modern era. How do those statistics stack up? Yeah, I mean, on a per-at-bat basis, Ruth is still right up there. Mark McGuire, Ralph Kiner, there's only a few that hit as many home runs per-at-bat. Um, I get asked sometimes, you know, do I think Ruth or Garrick or players like that, how would they do in today's game? And clearly, if you just transported them here magically, uh, I think that they would struggle, particularly someone like Ruth with his, with his uh, let's say, less-than-ideal physique. Garrick, <laughs> until he was struck down by ALS, was, was in great shape. I think he would compete uh, maybe even better than Ruth would today. However, a lot of it is, you know, hand-eye coordination, their eye, their, their sort of baseball intelligence. But if you took them at a young age and brought them here and gave them the equipment and the advanced medicine and the advanced tools that the people have today, uh, I'm sure people like Ruth and Garrett would do just fine. Huh. That is pretty interesting. I mean, how it, how it would stack up across the decades, mm-hmm. and in you know, I mean, baseball. I mean, as we talked about, is still. I mean, you got to catch the ball. You still got to get the out. You still got to do all of that stuff. Do you think that uh, in pitching? I mean, what's the biggest change besides number of innings pitched that you've seen? Uh, have the uh, you know ball strike ratio or anything like that, or the uh, ERAs changed at all, Tom, uh, over the years? Well, yeah, the ERAs were very low during the dead ball era because there wasn't a lot of offense, so you could you could have an ERA well below two and, and not even come close to leading the league because there was a bunch of guys that you'd be competing with for that. Um, you know, they had different pitches back then. The spitball was allowed. They didn't have as many uh, sort of advanced pitches that they have today, but they had they had their own unique ways of throwing. A lot of lot of uh, three quarters and sidearm throwers back then. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think pitching the, the big difference is what you named the, the lack of innings for starters because of the rise of, of not only a relief uh, in general but the specialists. You know the the guys that come in just for the seventh, just for the eighth, or just for, as a closer in the ninth inning. I mean, and that's only been in the last few decades really. And, you know the, the the best closers of the seventies like Goose Gossage and Kent Colvey and others. They would often throw two, three innings, not just the one that say a Mariano Rivera was expected. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how that workload has shifted as, you know, things have changed as far as motion, even speeds in some cases. The speed of the baseball being delivered now from pitchers on, on average is a little bit more than what it was back in that time, although I don't know that they really had a way to keep track. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. You, today, a fastball that's below 95, uh, you know, isn't considered very fast, whereas I think anything in the 90s and some of the earlier decades was considered pretty pretty fast. There were some guys that I think threw in the high 90s and, and decades long ago, like Bob Feller, I'm sure, was, was touching close to 100 from what I understand, but uh, but they, they were pretty rare. Uh, and, and today, most fastball hurlers, uh, you know, you've got your junk pitchers too, but most of the hard throwers uh, are definitely in the high 90s. So we're, we're definitely pushing the limits of the human body in some ways, and that's also why we see so many you know, premature uh, Tommy John surgeries and things like that. So, Tom, how can folks pick up your book? Because uh, we encourage folks to uh, pick these up and take a look, particularly our uh, baseball purists out there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good read right now, particularly with people, you know, stuck at home during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, It's 600-plus pages, so you can just read one team at a time. Can't get it at Barnes & Noble right now. They normally stock it, but most of those stores, I assume, are closed. So Amazon.com is probably the easiest way. 
Uh, you can also get it direct from the publisher at Acta Sports. Um, they, they publish the Bill James Handbook each year, uh, and they put out a few other titles, and I was happy to hook up with them as my publisher. But Amazon's probably your, your easiest bet for now. Tom, I guess the toughest question is, do you have a specific team you like? Yeah, growing up in western New York, you know, we have that AAA team, the Red Wings, but I'm six hours from New York, so most people assume I'd be a Yankees or Mets fan, but I, I never gravitated to them. The closest would have been the Blue Jays at about three and a half hours away, but I actually fell in love with the Pirates with the We Are Family, Willie Stargell-led <laughs> 1979 World Series champs, and I've, I've stuck with the Pirates ever since, even though it's been a, a pre, mostly pretty lean season for them as a small market team, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Pirates fan still. Do you, uh, your Pirates starting uh, nine or, or in your best of 30 from the Pirates, does Oil Can Boyd make it? Oil Can Boyd, no, no, definitely, <sighs> definitely doesn't make it. So. You know, you, you made, you made uh, my baseball broadcast partner Del Houck's day by saying that you're a Pirates fan. He, too, is a big fan since the We Are Family uh, saga, and uh, it's, it's been me trying to catch some of that when they've been playing a lot of the We Are family in the uh, classic MLB games from the 70s, which has been fun to watch. Yeah, definitely, and I think overall the, the Pirates all-time dream team has got a lot of interesting names and players on it, and, and I think they stack up pretty well overall. Yeah, Roberto Clemente has to be on there, I'm sure, as a right fielder. Yeah, he's the starting right fielder, although there's two others that that wouldn't uh, wouldn't be an embarrassment in right field. Paul Weiner, a Hall of Famer, and Dave Parker, who some some advocates for the Hall of Fame. So they've got a lot of great outfielders, a lot of great hitters. They're a little weaker on the starting pitching front, uh, but then as I mentioned earlier, Kent Tacovey along with Roy Face, have got a couple of great great relievers. So you know, I mean, there there have been really it's it's been kind of wild to watch how the Pirates have had great talent. One of those, Aaron McCutcheon, who seemed to make the Phillies go last year until he got injured. You know, is he on your team as one of the great Pirates? Yeah, he makes it as one of the top two center fielders, and that's, that's a place where readers could debate. I think anyone who's, who's used to seeing McCutcheon play in his MVP season, you know, uh, might vote for him there. I, I actually favored an old-timer, Max Carey, who had close to 700 stolen bases for the Pirates. And, and was considered one of the best defensive center fielders of his era. He played in the dead ball era. Uh, so I ranked him just slightly ahead of McCutcheon. I think if McCutcheon had stayed in Pittsburgh for his whole career, uh, even his career so far, I think he, he would outpace Carey. But, but the two of them, you can't go wrong. you got two great center fielders. I already mentioned the right fielders. And then in left field, you got Barry Bonds, the early part of his career before he went to San Francisco. you got Ralph Kiner. He led the league in home runs so many times. And then an old-timer, a player manager named Fred Clark, uh, also a Hall of Famer, so lots of great outfielders for the Pirates. My one question is, is does he have Bobby Bonilla in uh, either Pittsburgh or New York? You know, because New York's still paying him uh, for the next, like, 30 <laughs> years. right, wasn't it? It's like a 36-year contract or something. Um, no, I didn't make the Mets, and, and while I, I enjoyed having Bobby Bow as, as a, when I was a fan in the 80s, I didn't have him make third base for the for this roster either. Pi Trainer makes it as a starter. And then a little-known player from the dead ball era, Tommy Leach, was an underrated player and, and both played both third base and center field. So I included him over Bill Madlock or Bobby Bonilla as, as a backup third baseman. I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. <laughs> Tom, <laughs> did you at all do uh, – did you break down, like, you know, the best National League team that you would put out there by any chance? Did you break down, you know, you like mean, an all yeah, I didn't in this book. Uh, I do plan to write several more baseball books, and I plan to do one that will include all decade teams for both the American and National League team, and then and then a roll-up, like you're saying, which, of course, will be the hardest of all. Even, even if I allow myself a 30-man roster like I did here, having starters and backups, there's going to be so many good players that get snubbed 
Uh, and then there'll be the players like a Frank Robinson who won't make either because they split their career between the two leagues. Um, so that, that, that'll pose some challenges. Well, it's been great catching up with you this morning, Tom. We appreciate, we appreciate you taking time out uh, of your Saturday morning to join us here. And uh, this is great stuff. Again, the book can be found at, on Amazon.com, probably the easiest. Yeah, absolutely. Great talking with both of you, and I hope you both stay well. Well, thank you, Tom, and uh, hopefully we're back to playing ball once again sometime soon. Yeah, we have to be. Let's hope. Sundays, 12 noon. It's the musical memories of WPPA Soft Sunday. And at 1 o'clock, a variety of the newest and best polkas, WPPA's Polka Time. Then at three, we roll back the hits of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So no matter your musical taste, we have you covered on AM 1360 WPPA, 106 FM, and on the web, WPPARadio.com. Join us. What a great interview, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I enjoyed uh, hearing about uh, the the game and uh, some of the greatest players, and I was really interested in, in how the Yankees would turn out. And the, I mean, you heard it right there. Indeed, and uh, got to thank Tom for taking time out to talk to us. Next week, we're going to talk to the captain of the Hard Merchandise Fishing Vessel from Wicket Tuna, found on the National Geographic Channel. Sunday nights at nine o'clock. It's going to be a good one. You don't want to miss it here. It's Dave Marsican or. Marciano joining us, and uh, it's going to be a fun show, Chaz. We need to wrap this bad boy up, though. Well, let's first thank our financial benefactor, CACL Financial, 1800 West Market Street in the city of Pottsville. Also on the Port Carbon St. Clair Highway with easy drive-through services. And check them out online at CACLFCU.org. At CACL Financial, six years in a row, voted number one. Why? Because you won't find a better fiduciary relationship anywhere. Thank you to BG's Value Markets, four convenient locations, Minersville, Jonestown, Pine Grove, and also don't forget out there in Millersburg, it's BG's Value Markets. They got the meat for your hot irons of the grill. If their meat was any fresher, you'd have to slap it. It's a little chilly to be grilling today. But yeah, I it might is. Just do it. I might do it too. I might throw something on a smoker. Thank you to Gears Dairy, Schuylkill County's oldest family-owned full-service dairy on the Tumbling Run Road. The dairy line from whole milk to skim milk, the orange juice to pump up the vitamin C on a Saturday morning. And don't forget the delicious iced tea and fruit drink products. I rehydrate it with a sugar-free tea. You rehydrate it with a diet green tea. You're listening to Sports Saturday here on WPPA Potsdam. Translator W290DP Potsdam.